Good morning and welcome to our First Impressions podcast, San Diego First Church of the Nazarene. Welcome San Diego First Church family. Good to be with you. This is Pastor Matt here with Pastor D. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. It's so good to be with you. Thanks. We are looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. This is the sermon text for this coming Sunday. Uh, the thing is, at least I think it's fun, which is uh, we have a guest preacher coming in and uh, preaching to us, uh, our own Mark Maddox, Dean of the School of Theology and Christian Ministry at Point Loma Nazarene University. Uh, a faithful congregant is preaching this passage to us, and we get to talk about it. This is where I think it's fun. We get to talk about it. Neither one of us preparing a sermon. We just get to talk about it and see what Mark does with it. So, um, as always, I'm going to read the text for us and then we'll jump in. Great. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting verse 1. And so, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Even now you are still not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose, and each will receive wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants, working together. You are God's field, God's building. Here's the word. Thanks be to God. So, D, uh, when you read this passage, what strikes you? What, what's first of interest to you? Well, um, one of the things that immediately comes to mind is something you referenced just a few moments ago, and that is that Mark is speaking. And I think that it is really important uh, that we hold as a value in our church that we need multiple voices to mm-hmm. speak into our journey. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got wonderful Sunday school classes, some small groups. Um, I certainly have a, a wonderful uh, privilege for which I'm very grateful of often being the one who opens up on a Sunday morning. But I really deeply believe it's essential that we have multiple voices that speak into this as was happening at the Corinthian church, yeah. um, the church of Corinth. And even that posed problems, mm-hmm. um, but Mark coming in, um, when you speak, when others speak, it just gives a broader perspective on the word and invites us into conversation, yeah. not just hearing. Yeah. And so I, I love that that's taking place. And so that jumps off the page yes. to me, at least in some way. Absolutely. Um, I will also say another one, and I'd, I'd love your comment on this. As if, uh, if you know of nuances that maybe I miss hearing this or misreading it, but um, Paul's pretty bold 
in confronting the church at Corinth mm. in ways that um, probably came across as, I don't know if it came across as offensive, but, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. I've had to feed you with milk because you're just kind of immature babies. <laughs> so immature. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm wondering how many of them stopped listening after <laughs> sure, yeah. this part of the letter. Uh-huh. Or if they started arguing again, well, I'm not mature, immature. You may be immature, but I'm not immature. Um, yeah, yeah. Because if quarreling was part of their MO, their yeah. uh, way of operating, this would just kind of fan the flame. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I see that. <laughs> like, are we name calling here, Paul? Yeah. What's, what's up here? Yeah. Yeah, Paul has a, he's an ornery one. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, he's very opinionated. Clearly, he's written, you know, most of the letters of, that are epistles in the New Testament. So he's got some opinions. He's going to make you know about them. Yeah. Um, and it's clear that he has a an eye for justice, mm. for justice of yeah. of the gospel. Um, that it's not misunderstood and it's not uh, betrayed. Um, and is it, I think one of the things that Paul is most fervent about is faithfulness to the gospel story of of Christ, uh, his ministry, those he was healing and teaching, as well as the importance of his death and resurrection. Um, that we, we should not mince words about these things. Um, so I I agree. He can be a bit stubborn and he can be offensive. Um, if if you're this this is my understanding, and like I am. You know, Paul is two thousand years away from me, and uh, and I only am seeing the the words he wrote, you know, as they've been repeated by scholars and writers and all these things. I would take my impression is that Paul is for those who know the Enneagram language, uh, he's an Enneagram eight. Mm. He is like fierce. He is um, intense. And it's all to an ends, which is to, no, we need to get it right. Like we need to, this needs to be said well. And we we should not uh, like mess with anything that's going to dilute this message. Um, So if you you listen to this and you know the Enneagram, I think he's an Enneagram 8. Hence the like, yeah, he he might be coming off as verbose here. (laughs) I appreciate that, um, bringing in some of the um, modern ways though Enneagram has some ancient roots to it. Yeah. Um, but some of the things that are current to our culture in terms of how we look at Paul yeah. um, in these writings. I will say in regard to Paul that I am fascinated with his response to what's taking place in regard to his own ego. Yeah. So if he is hearing that some are um, attaching themselves to Apollos as the name under which they have either learned or been saved or whatever the case might be. Um, it would be easy if, as we, as many think, he's the founder of this church, mm-hmm. that his defenses would go up and he would minimize Apollos and maybe remind them yeah. of the things that he had taught. Instead... It is fascinating to me that it doesn't appear those defenses have risen significantly, but instead is trying to turn them back to the center of 
the gospel, Christ crucified, um, what Christ has done on our behalf, that it is God's kingdom, not anyone else's. Yeah. And I find that as incredibly instructive for me when I feel my defenses go up to be reminded, oh, yeah, it really isn't about me. Mm-hmm. It's also not about yeah. Apollos. Yeah. But it's not about me. Yeah. And it, it enables him, I think, to make a compelling argument because it doesn't seem like it's coming out of defensiveness. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, and I skipped to the end of First Corinthians because um, I thought this was the case. He actually encourages Apollos to come back to Corinth. Yeah, to, amazing to minister. And Apollos and his his you know gang, the one he's he's traveling with. They're unwilling to, <laughs> even though Paul's like, please go back to Corinth. Uh, so I find that that's that same thing true of, yeah, he could, I mean, for his verbosity, his, for his intensity, Paul still like, is like, and, and it's not about me and it's not about Apollos. Yeah. It's not about D. It's not about Matt. It's not about Mark. It's, it's about what God is doing in our midst. Um, and in fact, uh, he and I, I, I'm not entirely sure where in the letter he does this, but he he'll he'll say I'm really thankful that I didn't baptize anyone any of you except for I did baptize and then like two others. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beyond those two, like I'm really thankful that I didn't baptize you, yeah. so that they didn't say like, well, I'm baptized by Paul. There's not this like ego around who led somebody to Christ or who baptized you. Um, that truly the the glory is to God and to what God is doing in our midst, not to a singular personality or, um, dare, dare I say, uh, early Christian celebrity. Yeah. Oh, well said. Yeah, that's a, probably a great way to put it. Um, I, there's one other thing that jumps off the page as I read through this. And in this case, it's probably pretty personal. Um, but... Um, I think one of the beautiful things about spending time in God's Word is that there are times when a passage makes a memory link to something else that mm. you've read. Yeah. Um, just like you went to the end of the chapter because you thought that there was something there that you could connect with. Um, the closing line of this particular passage says that we are God's fellow workers, you're God's field, God's building. Mm. And as you probably know, um, a portion of my prayer life has been centered around this belief that we become God's house as God takes up a dwelling place within us. And so my imagery has taken me over the years to create this mansion of prayer, imagining that I am God's mansion or God's gift to me, Mm. a la John 14, where it says, I go to prepare a place for you, but we come to make our dwelling in you. And if I am God's building, the beautiful notion of imagining what I am as a building, Mm -hmm. like what's the living room portion of my life? Where does God invite me into kind of the intimate quiet places or at the kitchen table? Um, And I love that this passage is Paul's proclamation you're God's building. You're God's dwelling place. Yeah. You're where God finds home. Yeah. What? 
yeah. So anyway, that's a very personal thing to me, but it does jump off the page to me. Yeah. Uh, I resonate with that in the, certainly when we think of our own interior life, that there is more to explore than just the singularity of um, my relationship with God, that there is a, there is a past and a present and a future that I'm, I'm seeking to connect with and understand how God is at work in, but there's also just the, the roles that I take on and the, the, the parts that, um, I may not want to give Mm. much light to, Mm -hmm. but are going to crop up anyways. Um, and, and kind of force their way into the conversation and, um, that, that to have, imagine a physical setting, like a building, like your prayer mansion, um, has the ability to like set a, um, a positive, no, that's, I'm about to contradict myself, a, a neutral ground on which you and those parts of yourself and the Lord can come and commune. I think that's really beautiful. Um, one of the things about this passage that really strikes me is that it's, um, Paul is quite, um, direct, as you mentioned, speaking to one's faith development. Yeah. That, that there's a, there's an understanding that you don't, you're not going to get like what's going on with the gospel and Jesus and all these theological things or biblical things right away. And this is a Gentile, uh, city they're going to be dominantly Gentile Christians as opposed to Jewish Christians who would ever understand the pattern and the law and the imagination that Jesus is coming to the table with. Um, but that there is, there is a sense of like, you need to recognize where you are in your own development. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what Paul's pointing towards in a very aggressive way of saying like, y'all are still kids. Like you, you still are infants when it comes to this following Jesus thing. You, you're getting your legs underneath you, and that doesn't mean that like you can like fully solve by yourself these weighty issues, um, yeah. or have these like be able to uh, resist the quarrel uh, quarrelsomeness that we might be immediately tending towards. That there's. Uh, I for him I think there at least in the scripture there there's a um, an intensity to that like it's a hey yeah. just recognize you're not at that level yet but I think there's a grace in that the to recognize oh it's okay for me to be an infant in this place or and to still be learning and to you know um, I think there's a pressure that can get released from like oh you don't need you don't need to eat uh, you know medium rare steak right away. You know, no, no one's asking, yeah. you know, early Christians in their faith journey to just jump immediately into Augustine's theological writings on, on the Trinity, right? I, I agree with that. I would also say, though, as I read this, I feel like there is a clear calling out um, for those who maybe by choice have remained stagnant. Yeah, yes. And I, I wonder what would it be like if the Holy Spirit today was verbal about calling out yeah. areas where we have just gone along with being stagnant instead of pushing ourselves to reflect mm. on some of the difficult things of our journey yeah. and um, confront those pieces that need growth. 
So I agree with you. There's a lot of grace in here, mm-hmm. but there's also a real challenge that says, you know, stagnation is kind of dangerous ground. Yeah. So yeah, I'm hoping that Mark will clear all of this up on Sunday. And just crush a sermon yep. and we'll be good. <laughs> He'll solve the problems. Absolutely. Looking forward to hearing Mark preach on this this coming Sunday. Good to be with you this morning, Dee. You as well, Matt. Thanks.